0: Hi, and welcome to episode 8 of my podcast, Mrs. Burke, A Voice for Inclusion. Today I want to talk about some things that I experienced in Chicago. And after I experienced them, I decided to do some research because I was so concerned. I found on January 31st, 2019, the United States District Court for the Northern District of Illinois Eastern Division had a case number 17-CV-6260, which was the state of Illinois as the plaintiff versus the city of Chicago, the defendant. They entered into a consent decree regarding the Chicago Police Department. The state, the city, and the Chicago Police Department were committed to constitutional and effective law enforcement. The agreement was entered into to ensure the city and the Chicago Police Department delivered services in a manner that fully complied with the Constitution and laws of the United States and the State of Illinois. It was entered into to build trust between officers and the communities they serve. It also promoted officer and community safety. The agreement sought to ensure Chicago police officers were provided with training, resources, and support they needed to perform their jobs safely and professionally. The agreement required changes in the areas of community policing, impartial policing, crisis intervention, use of force, recruitment, hiring and promotions, training, supervision, officer wellness and support, accountability and transparency, data collection, analysis and management. On August 29, 2017, the state of Illinois, by the Attorney General of the state of Illinois at the time, Lisa Madigan, filed a complaint against the city of Chicago pursuant to the U.S. Constitution, the Illinois Constitution, the Illinois Civil Rights Act of 2003, and the Illinois Human Rights Act. The complaint Lisa Madigan made alleged that the Chicago Police Department violates the Constitution and the state and federal laws by using excessive force, including deadly force, in a manner that disproportionately harms Chicago's African American and Latino residents. The complaint tried to address that Chicago Police Department engaged in a pattern and practice of civil rights violations and unconstitutional policing. The complaint also addressed recommendations and conclusions set forth by the U.S. Department of Justice and the Police Accountability Task Force convened by former Mayor Rahm Emanuel. The city of Chicago denied the claims without admitting any liability. The city publicly committed to working with the state to negotiate and implement the agreement. This case, case 17CB6260, states that in negotiating the agreement, the parties have consulted with community leaders, community members, police officers, police unions, civilian Chicago police members, advocates, and other concerned individuals who offered insights and recommendations for change. It states that the agreement reflects the input received by parties from diverse communities that make up the city of Chicago. It states that the Chicago Police Department will ensure that its community policing philosophy is a core component of its provision of police services, crime reduction strategies and tactics, training, management resource deployment, and accountability. It states all Chicago Police Department members for were for furthering the philosophy and principles of community policing, including trust and legitimacy, community engagement, community partnerships, problem solving, and the collaboration of Chicago Police Department, city agencies, and members of the community to promote public safety. It also states the city and Chicago police are committed to exploring diversion programs, resources, and alternatives to arrest. In 2016, the superintendent of the Chicago police commissioned the community policing advisory panel made up of community members, Chicago police department members, public safety police experts, practitioners, and researchers to provide recommendations for improving the Chicago Police Department's community policing efforts. As a part of the problem-solving measures, within 180 days of the effective date, way back in January 31st, 2019, The Chicago Police Department was to review and revise all relevant policies to clearly delineate the duties and responsibilities of the Office of Community Policing and entities that report to them as necessary. To achieve this, Chicago Police were to provide Command Staff, methods and guidance for ensuring department-wide and district-level crime reduction strategies consistent with community policing. It also required Chicago Police Department command staff to review department-wide and district-level crime reduction strategies implemented under their command as appropriate to ensure they incorporate problem-solving techniques that were consistent with the principles of community policing. It also designated the Deputy Chief of the Office of Community Policing to review and provide written feedback on implemented department-wide and district-level crime reduction strategies, excluding operational strategies that are determined on a day-to-day or short-term basis to ensure they are community-oriented and consistent with the principles of community policing. The Chicago Bureau of Patrol Area Deputy Chiefs and District Commanders regularly review district efforts and strategies for building community partnerships and using problem-solving techniques the paperwork from this court case 17-cv-6260 then states that the overall effectiveness of chicago police departments department-wide and district-level crime reduction strategies will be determined by a reduction in crime and not by the number of arrests, stops, or citations. My question is, How do you measure a reduction in crime if you are not including the number of arrests, stops, or citations? How is the goal of the consent decree in the legal paperwork being measured? As I learned in my graduate program, and even more recently from the transition coordinator who helped families of students with disabilities set up family guardianship to keep students safe after they turned 18, goals need to be specific and measurable for accountability. Measurable goals should have been established in court paperwork, which is a legal document just like special education teams make measurable goals in legal paperwork of individualized education plans for students. It's challenging to keep accurate data and have accountability if goals are not specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. This is actually called making SMART goals. SMART is an acronym for specific, measurable, achievable, relevant, and time-bound. Based on my own recent experience of domestic violence, when my husband punched me in the back and stole all of our joint money, I was unable to access any services across county lines in the state of Illinois. I was given the phone number for the Illinois domestic violence hotline by police in multiple counties, but when I would call, they never had any resources available. The police in some counties had lists of resources, but when I drove to or called looking for shelter or food, there was none available, or the place, the places listed actually did not exist. I very quickly realized that certain community agencies did not appear to be funded. I had a hard time finding anything that was safe that was funded. There was one place called Beds Plus that I could see food inside of But it was not open for immediate needs. Instead, I was told I would have to put my name on a list and someone could pick me up to take me to a motel. That sounded really scary to me. There were some churches that had food through a government program But I had to sign my name and could get prosecuted for getting food even though I desperately needed it. Before I was a violent survivor, I did work. So I made more than was allowed through the program and could be prosecuted if I tried to get the food. I also was concerned about immigrants who may have needed food and a shelter, a safe place to stay during COVID-19 during the time of the zero-tolerance immigration policy the U.S. had under former President Trump. If people had to sign their names on lists and they weren't citizens, I wonder if they were, would get deported or where, or if they got detained. Through my own experience of not being able to find food or shelter I could use after experiencing violence, I saw how quickly I became vulnerable, could have died or been trafficked. It happened really fast because police all over Chicagoland were trying to help me, but they did not have any safe or valid resources for me. I realized early on there must be a huge problem because I saw on television that there was supposed to be extra funding for at least safe shelter during the pandemic. I also learned on the streets that many people did not receive economic stimulus checks. These were people who may have really needed the money. Because I realized there was such a huge problem, I did document my whole experience and sent it to multiple lawmakers and community stakeholders. I hope it helps police and others because I saw how hard police were trying to help me. But the thing is, is that it's impossible for police to help people in the community if there are not any valid or safe resources people can use. I used to not understand why people were homeless. Now I understand and feel a deep grief for victims of violence in our community, as well as for the police who are trying to help them. It's hard to help people without any resources. I was so concerned that I even wrote a book about my entire experience called Mrs. Burke, Please Do Something. Because I could not find any valid resources, I ended up living in my car and then being detained at a mental health center by a judge who never met me. I was detained for 44 days without due process. No one at the court ever met me. I think that was a big mistake. I am actually a fierce advocate who is a state-licensed and nationally certified speech-language pathologist. Not only was I abused at the mental health facility, but I saw others being abused there, including those with disabilities. My grief and trauma came from the lack of resources and the court system. I could not find any of the tax dollars I paid in Illinois during the last 25 years, and I was abused at a facility that the Cook County Court placed me at without due process. Right now, I am safely staying in Villa Park, Illinois, the same town my mom first lived in when she moved here after turning 18. My mom then met my dad and the rest is history. I have a very important prayer. Dear God, I pray that tax money we pay becomes available to help people who need it, such as those who are homeless or victims of violence. I pray our justice system begins to follow the United States and Illinois Constitution. I pray our laws are updated to reflect best practices for human rights in our communities. God, I pray for transparency in tax money we paid for law enforcement. I saw firsthand how hard it must be for them to do their jobs to serve and protect people if they don't have resources to do so. Lord, hear our prayer. Dear God, I pray for these things for Chicago, for states, and for the United States. I am very concerned by what I saw in Chicago. Amen. Talk soon.